Hello everyone and welcome to The Stagey Place, the podcast where we here chat to those who make the magic from behind the scenes in theatre, from writers to directors, producers to designers. And on today's episode, we have Stephen Canny and John Nicholson, the co-writers of The Time Machine, a new comedy based loosely from the H.G. Wells novel. I was so excited to chat with Stephen and John a couple of weeks ago ahead of the tour which is currently playing around the UK until later on this year. We'll have all of the tour dates in our episode notes so wherever you are listening to this episode of the podcast please do check the links at the end or now to see where you can watch The Time Machine. But for now please enjoy episode 136 of The Stagey Place with today's guests Stephen Canny and John Nicholson. Hello Stephen and John and welcome to the Stagey Place today. How are you both doing? It's really good, thanks for having us. Doing very well, thank you. Brilliant, thank you so much both of you for coming on today. Today we are talking about The Time Machine, a comedy which is going on tour this year. Now people may know a little bit about the show already. It's had previous incarnations and venues before this tour. So we are talking today about the tour, but obviously it has happened before. Let's talk to you, Stephen, first off about the concept of this show and where it all started with your and John's relationship. Well, John and I have been writing together for a long time, since 2005. So is that 19 years? Something like that. We wrote a three-hander comedy version of The Hand of the Baskervilles for West Yorkshire Playhouse, now Leeds Playhouse, back in 2005. And then we've written a lot of things together, but we've both, we're both busy uh, and we've both got a lot going on we've got sort of alternative responsibilities in our lives uh alongside writing and making theater so it's taken us a long time to write a new piece and in 2018 we started to look for a next thing that we were going to do and we read the time machine at that point and we started to think about ways of approaching it. And so it took us the best part of three years. And obviously, uh, lockdown was in the middle of that as well, to even really crack on. And it took an awful lot of thinking about an approach, because anyone who's read The Time Machine will have noticed that it's not the most theatrical or action-packed of novellas. And so it took us a long time to think about how to place the work that we love and we feel passionate about in the context of the time machine. And what John and I often find ourselves drawn to is the performers, the clowns, who 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 they are and what their relationship is with the narrative. And so that was what took a lot of time. And, and we spent probably, I don't know, John, was it about a year or 18 months or something just on story, just on working literally from a big sheet of A3, breaking down scene by scene on how you might progress. And at the same time, there's a complication, slight spoiler alert, there is time travel in the show. And so just trying to work out how that relates to comedic action and keeps consistency of storytelling about that we were trying to work on from the original material from the time machine that took a heck of a lot of time and so we sort of broke it into little bits and then little bits and then little bits and then late 21 it came out in a rush and I think we wrote it actually John quite quickly in the end didn't we I mean it came for these three characters it came they came quite fully formed and my memory of it and that might be completely faulty is that it was just really pleasurable and fun to write where the thinking had been really really painful and slow 
Yeah, John, is that about right? It is, yeah. We should probably point out that luckily, or perhaps unluckily, weren't in a position where we were being commissioned. So mm. there was no time pressure, sure. which is probably why it took so long. So with, with Hand of the Baskers, which is the first thing that we've written, three-hander, taking a well-known title, seeing what fun we could have with it, we wanted to focus a lot more on the relationship between the three performers or the three clowns whilst telling the story. We knew it wasn't going to just be a straight telling of the story. So we couldn't, with Hand of the Baskers, we took the skeleton of the story and broke it down and then wrote around that. But we had to do a lot of invention with Time Machine and to also justify why we weren't necessarily doing the most faithful adaptation of it so if we're not if you're not going to be faithful then you've got to be um demonstrate in the playing of it exactly why you haven't done that and what what you've done to it that you hope will sort of bring more life to it yeah yeah might be expected i think it's safe to say that uh original theater who produced it got quite nervous as we approached the first production of the time machine because Obviously, you put it in a brochure for the theatre before anyone's seen it, and it's just the time machine, and people may well be booking to see a faithful adaptation of the book. And they tried everything they could on social media and the way it looked and was presented in the theatre foyer and everything to make sure people knew it was a comedy. (laughs) And we'd actually, we'd always called it, funnily enough, I don't know, it wasn't, I don't know quite why we'd done it like that, but in all of our drafts, it always been the time machine a comedy that was the title of the piece so obviously we were all thinking the same thing which is don't miss all the tickets yes is that why then because obviously i'm i'm looking at the leaflet right now obviously yeah you do have the time machine a comedy and then you have this little bubble here that says very loosely adapted from the novel is that just to reiterate the fact that people aren't coming in to watch this you know straight drama play of you know the adaption of the hd wells and that actually just purely for legal reasons so people can't yeah. sue us for selling um no no we're just just trying to, to give a flavor of what the because without giving too much away for people who haven't seen it it's quite a chaotic piece of theater mm-hmm. uh, and if you're expecting a victorian parlor and just a retelling of that book then you you won't have a brilliant night out yeah, obviously you're writing this and, you know, when you get into a rehearsal room, it's great. You've got you've got three actors in the room, three clowns who can, you know, play with the script. But it's not really until you've got the audience in that you really know whether or not this show has worked and the audience are really on side with the show. So talk to me. Obviously, this has had illustrations in the past before this tour in 2024. Tell me a little bit about the audience reaction that you've had towards the show and has it changed or reshaped the way that you are looking at doing it on tour now that you've got other venues that you that you are visiting oh that's an interesting question well I think any comedy really isn't formed until you put it in front of an audience yeah a, a rehearsal room is a really really difficult place for comedy because you get sick of the sight of one another and it becomes deeply unfunny mm. and you have to hold on to what you hope and aspire to to in the first place. With this show in particular, we started in the New Wolsey in Ipswich about a year ago. And yeah, it was definitely more unknown than most. And again, without giving too much away, the second half does require participation from the audience. And so every show is made of different bits. Different people interact with the cast. We did a run in London over Christmas and very early on in the run, an audience member 
took to the stage <laughs> unprompted and wrestled one of the actors to the ground. Now, I'm not encouraging that behaviour, and but there's lots of permutations for this yeah. show. It can go in lots of different directions, depending on what the audience offer up. And so more than most shows, I would say this one relies on the three performers having been so secure in the text of that second half in particular that when it goes completely wrong and is derailed and they always know a route to get back to hold uh, hold the whole thing together because it could the chaos is good and fun but no one wants to be in a theatre for 12 hours whilst <laughs> actors try and resolve things well maybe you do but that's a particular type of show and this one is Two hours of comedy in in and out, and we hope yeah. that you laugh throughout. Absolutely. So that performance there with the wrestling, it does mm. make me wonder what the risk assessment must be like for this show. The updating of the risk assessment uh, might just come from like really wacky ideas that audiences have put out, and they've you know you've got to really cover your ground. Yep, it's a show with some level of risk in it. That is true. Yeah, absolutely. And show reports as well must be must be a fun thing to read at the end of yeah. every performance. Before you go to bed, you're you're itching waiting to read those show reports. <laughs> Certainly the cast have to and they've got really good at this, spending the whole of the first half checking out the audience members to see that people are always up for well generally. I mean there might be Tuesday afternoon when it's tricky, but generally up for coming on stage. But you don't necessarily want the person that puts their hand up the first. Yeah. You can over over enthusiasm. Yes, the audience members is not helpful. So it's picking and choosing. But also just to say that, I mean, there was development also because there is a new cast member, George Kemp, who is brilliant. Also, the, the show's obviously going to respond yeah. to what he brings to it. And I've yet to see it. Yeah, actually, it opened last night, but I, I haven't been able to see it. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Illy's very exciting. It sounds like a fantastic show to have on tour because I guess everybody in every single venue, certain parts of like London, for example, London audiences will probably grapple quite well with the comedy. And then you go to other venues and it depends how these venues have programmed stuff in the past to, to their shows and stuff. For you two, who would be... Or what kind of person would be your ideal audience member? We're talking a lot about audience participation here. So is it just somebody who is up for a good time and up for, you know, giving suggestions when they need to? Like, like who is the perfect audience member for this show? That's a very good question. It's a, we, we know already that it's a wide age group. So I think the youngest folk that we've seen who've really enjoyed it have been sort of 10 or 11 or something like that. And people into their 80s and probably 90s, I haven't met them personally, but certainly in their 80s. So wide range of ages. I think well, you you said it, Elliot, the, the, the bit that having an open mind and coming for a good time, that's the key. And our work historically has done really well in venues that are well-established comedy theatre venues in cities that seem to have an appetite for comedy. And there weirdly are certain places, and you can see from the sort of comedy circuit and whatever else, that there are certain towns that are drawn to stage and stand up in a way that other towns don't seem to quite go for it. Yeah, I think we really prosper from venues that have an audience who just come looking for a nice night out. And you asked earlier about what drew us to the project and working together. For me, there's two bits of that. One is... Selfishly, I really enjoy the time that John and I spend together writing. Like it, writing on your own is painful <laughs> most of the time. Writing with John is fun. Yeah. We've just revisited the Hannah Baskers that we've been writing for 19 years. We spent three hours on Monday afternoon writing, doing some rewrites for a new production of it. And it's a really, really enjoyable process. It's a few hours that fly by of just having a nice time with a friend. And yeah. out of that, you get 
a script. So there's a partly very selfish undertaking that it's just a really pleasurable thing to do. And it's much nicer than working on your own. But also there's an awful lot of terrible things that go on in everybody's lives. And John and I have had a lot of personal loss and difficulties and things in our own lives. Having the ability to write something that's just joyful. The role of what we do is to give people a good couple of hours. If we don't manage it, we know it. We've written those plays in the past. Sometimes they don't fire. They don't work. But coming back to that, what was last year like with the touring and then it's really, really lovely, pleasurable, beautiful to sit in a room where from the first minute to the last, people are just laughing and the shared laughter in that room. There are thoughts and concepts and ideas in the play that I hope people will engage with. But actually, I hope they'll just come and have a good time (laughs) and that they will laugh. And if we've given someone two hours of laughter, I think we've done our job. Well, let me tell you, because obviously I'm going to come and see it in Cheltenham. Cheltenham is a great comedy audience. So, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're having any issues anywhere else, know that you're going to have a fun time when the show comes to Cheltenham. And I'm sure you'll have some fantastic show reports when you do come. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. The final question about the show is obviously, you know, we don't want to obviously jump into spoiler territory at all uh, in this case. And we've kind of spoken a little bit about this answer in previous questions. But is there a moment in the show that you are most excited for audiences to see or interact with? Obviously, you say there's a lot of derailing in the show, so that could possibly be it. And we've spoken a lot about it already. But is there another part of the show that you really look forward to reactions from? I think what's really enjoyable, particularly in the second half, there's a lot of setup in the first half. That's not to say there's not lots of treats in the first half as well. But in the second half, it's enjoyable knowing that if they laugh at one thing, you know that there's something that's a lot funnier coming up that they're going to laugh even more at. And that's that's a very enjoyable experience, knowing that there's absolute guaranteed laughs throughout the second half. And similarly, I suppose, in the first half, but it's a slightly different beast in the first half, seeing people get on board with the first joke. In fact, there's a joke within the first 30 seconds before the actors even come on stage. Yeah. So if they laugh at that, then you think, oh, OK, they're a fun audience. Actually, to be honest, you can normally tell if you're a director and have sat in enough previews and, and shows on tour and all that sort of thing. Even just sitting in the audience and listening to them, you know yeah. what kind of a show it's going to be. But what's, what's been lovely actually is the actors saying that when you get those show reports that say there were 100 people in as opposed to 400 or something, and you think, oh, that 100, that must have been a tough one. The reports saying that actually they've taken that, those 100 people on the journey and, and have got, and it's been one of their favourite shows because it's been a really intimate time with those people. And that, of course, that's what theatre is all about, isn't it? That yeah. live experience that nothing else can beat. I think what John is describing, which is a sort of slight cliche that we can't avoid, which is as a writer, you the first joke, you sort of listen to the reaction and you gauge what the night's going to be like and then the next few after you slightly either sinking feeling or reassured feeling but there's a song in this show that emerges in as part of the narrative and that's a marker for me like if you know we've had people clapping along instantly and joining in and all of that sort of stuff and you can gauge the temperature of the rest because there's about sort of halfway through the first half and then there's an awful lot more to come so if they're up for that and they're and they're enjoying themselves at that point then you know you're you're going to be fine and as john said there's a lot more bigger laughs to come as well so it's, you you know as a writer they've all got something to look forward to absolutely well it does sound incredibly exciting just hearing you guys talk today about it and the love of it it just makes me excited to come and see the show so i will be there in Cheltenham to see the show i can't wait guys thank you so much both of you for coming on to talk 
talk about the show. I'm going to move over to the final two questions that we ask everybody who comes onto the podcast. The first is about advice that you might have for people who are coming into the area of the industry that you guys work in. So as writers, as comedy writers, what advice would you give to people who are listening to this podcast right now? And maybe they want to become a comedy writer, specifically for theatre, especially in the future. Obviously, the industry is in such a difficult place at the moment. I mean, even to friends of mine who've been in, in the theatre industry for a long time, I was talking to some people the other day, and they had this idea, and they said, the thing is, we haven't got funding for it. And I said, well, maybe if you can get something very small and inexpensive on in front of, even if it's an invited audience, but kind of get a key person there that might be able to help you. Book a venue or possibly even somebody that might be able to inject a little bit of money into it or some kind of funding body or or bringing, and not necessarily the obvious routes for funding. Maybe it's a type of piece that, that might engage um, a different trust or foundation or something like that. But just getting it on in the first place, a scratch performance of it, getting the right people in or yeah. somebody that might be able to have some some influence that that would be my advice my other piece of advice actually was because I didn't go to drama college and I didn't have an agent and I didn't do all that kind of thing is just see what other people have done and then just try and copy oh they went to that how did they get to that venue so how do I and ring them up and just ask them how did you manage to do that that was always really helpful for me I had no problem just ring people up going right give me your ideas how did you get to do that the thing that I know you have to do is don't put it off write and write and write and write I wrote a lot of very very poor plays in my 20s that either got deleted or burn I did actually have a ceremonial burning at one point of uh, a load of plays and scripts and things yeah I met a glass of wine too many on a bonfire night one year and put it <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know i've got a box of floppy disks somewhere and i've got no way of reading a floppy disk i mean what the heck no no anybody below the age of 40 listening to this won't even know what a floppy disk is but you know i've got plays and books and all that sort of stuff and i think that failure the struggling because in your 20s particularly i think there's a funny thing where you've actually got nothing to write about frequently and yet you know you've got some of the tools uh you've got an imagination you've got a sense of space the theater you've got the tone of some of the work you, you haven't actually got any real life experience to write about so I ended up writing a lot of sort of quite things that sounded quite smart were paper thin in terms of the credibility or their depth if I read it back now I'd be mortified I think but the process of that writing definitely then creates a sense of who you are and I think with stand-ups, what most people talk about immediately is who your persona is, what the audience read of you as soon as you walk on the stage. So that old cliche of, you know, you've either got them or not by the time you get to the microphone before you even start speaking. If you combine yeah. that with what John suggested, yeah. then you're going to be an absolute champion. Yeah. And Stephen, then let me ask you, obviously, this show is about a time machine. If you did have a time machine and you could go back to that night where you had one too many wines and you had that bonfire night, would you stop past Stephen from throwing those scripts into the fire? Because there may be something in that that you could then use. <laughs> or would you just throw it away? No, definitely not. No. Get rid of it all. Get, move on from that rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a wonderful answer, though, from both of you, though. You know, that's the thing, though. John, like you were saying, calling up and finding out how people have got to these places, you know, without without having the degrees and stuff like that, but wanting to know how they got to where they are and those venues that they got to. And then Stephen, yeah, just keep on writing 
writing. And like you say, you'll know what you've got when you've got the life experience to be able to write. But also it's kind of just like in those 20s, like just being able to write and knowing that you can write, even if you don't think there's nothing in there. It's the starting of knowing what may not work when you are older and got more life experience. So absolutely, yeah. they are two fantastic pieces of advice. We're going to move over to the final question of the podcast now. It's the title of this podcast, which is The Stagey Place. And what I love to ask all of my guests is where their stagey place is. Now, where I say where their stagey place, it could be a venue. It could be a physical thing that you go to. It could be the writing stages where Stephen and John, you both working out those early parts of what's going to work in novels, whether or not that's Hand of the Baskervilles or Time Machine or any other projects that you've tried to create in the past. Or it could be somebody who's inspired you throughout your career. You know, you could basically say each other if you, if you two feel like inspired by each other. But hmm. Stephen, I'll start with you. Whereabouts is your stagey place? Interestingly, as soon as you started to talk about that, the, the, the thing that's in my mind is the number of opportunities I've had where people have offered space and time for me to learn and understand things. I went to really bad school and didn't really study and then didn't really knuckle down and think about things seriously to my mid-20s. And what I think about when I think about, yeah, that's something that's inspired, something that feels like... a place of significance whatever it's a series of opportunities and one of them was really simple like I got a job as deputy manager of the National Theatre Bookshop that place offered me I mean not only do I feel like that's a huge kind of home I was there five years in the end but I saw every play that was on at the National and most plays that were on the West End during that period I got the chance to see productions that I loved over and over and over I saw the beginnings of plays Robert Lepage Complicity all sorts of companies over and over and over but I set myself a task because I because I didn't really study earlier in my life of reading a play by every published playwright in the English language. And I went through the alphabet. I set myself the task to do it and I did it. And I read some plays that I would never have encountered, some playwrights I'd have never come across. But I did it. And I, and I think all of that was that and what we were describing earlier about keeping on writing, writing plays that didn't work very well. All of that coalesced in the next bit of my apprentice apprenticeship, which is I got a job as an assistant director and then associate director and then dramaturg with complicity. And when I think back to that time, like in my late 20s to early 30s, of all of that work, then suddenly I was in the position of shaping and reshaping bits of script. And, and it, a few years later, it came, I, I did a new version with Simon McBurney of Measure for Measure that was then on at the National. And I think probably when I look back, of all the apprenticeships that were offered to me, those two things, the, yeah. the National Theatre Bookshop and the alphabetical read-through, then that gig that ended up being another five years, with, I did, was with Complicity for about five years. I think that's probably the place. I love it. That's such a good answer. John, can you give us your stagey place? Well, okay, okay, I've got two answers. One is watching the Marx Brothers. That's where it all started. Absolutely just makes me feel that life can be wonderfully stupid and joyful. And the other thing is just being with the right people, just having funny conversations over a beer or whatever. Yeah. So obviously Steve sitting around chatting about funny situations that we've been in or funny characters that you come across where you sort of see status play in a shop or a hotel or because so much of clowning is about just reflecting real yeah. life status so somebody who thinks of themselves as being very important but actually is slightly flawed in some way is great clowning so yeah chewing the fat 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Stephen and John, thank you so much for coming on to the Stage of Place today to talk about the Time Machine, a comedy which is on tour currently. It's just opened in Salford and is going right the way through until mid-March. Thank you so much for both coming on today. Oh, thanks so much for having us. Cheers. And there we go. That was Stephen Canny and John Nicholson, the co-writers behind The Time Machine, a new musical, once again, which is loosely based off the H.G. Wells novel. I'd really like to take the time now to thank John and Stephen for coming onto the Stagey Place to talk about the show and the little bits of the show that they are most excited for audiences to react to throughout the production. It is one of the most exciting theatre trips that I'm going to be making this month when I go and see it in Cheltenham. And if you guys have seen it around the UK, please do get in touch and let us know what you thought of the show. If this is the first time you've been listening to The Stagey Place, then why not follow us on Instagram, X and TikTok at The Stagey Place, where you can find out a little bit more about the guests that we feature here on the podcast, as well as the thoughts of all of the shows that we go and see around the UK and online on all streaming platforms. Join us next week on the podcast when we'll have James McDermott, the writer of Jab, which is playing at the Finborough Theatre in London. So, until the next time you join us here on this stagey place, my name's been Elliot. I hope you're keeping safe and staying stagey. Goodbye.